A sentencing hearing begins for three youths convicted in the swarming death of Luca Gordick. Will they be sentenced as youths or adults? Headley frontman Jacob Hogard arrested and facing three sex offense charges. Why police released his mugshot. And mass tragedy. Investigators trying to determine a motive in a shooting rampage in Toronto's Greek town. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. Carnage on the streets of Toronto, a mass shooting in the city's Greek town. First, a warning some may find the following images disturbing. Is it from that car? Cell phone video shows the gunman opening fire. Several shots are heard before the camera pulls away. The city of Toronto gripped by grief and sadness tonight. The gunman now identified as 29-year-old Faisal Hussein of Toronto. Three people are dead, including Hussein, 13 others injured. As Mike Drolet reports, police are now working to learn more about this tragic event and the man responsible. It was a calm Sunday night on the dance floor that turned chaotic in an instant. There's bullets everywhere, that's all. Just bullets bullets ev- everywhere. Toronto's Danforth is known for its Greek restaurants and family-friendly vibe. Just after 10 p.m., the first shots rang out. Andrew Manzios saw the shooter, a nondescript man in a baseball cap, gun down his first victim. I turned around and I just saw him execute a lady, black, you know, because a, a lady tried to run and she fell by the tree. Um, and he went boom, 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 three times. It was the start of a devastating shooting spree. Fifteen people were shot, including two girls ages 10 and 18, who were killed. The gunman also died. It's insane. I don't know what to make of it. It's ridiculous. The first shots rang out at Danforth and Logan in a small park. From there, the shooter zigzagged down the street, shooting at groups of people along the way, until he stopped at Dimitri's Cafe two blocks west and opened fire. He moved about 120 meters down the street, shooting into the second cup. Further west, he fired at diners in the Seven Numbers restaurant. It's near there that two officers engaged him, and he died on the Danforth. All I can confirm is the man did sustain a gunshot injury. Neither police nor the Special Investigations Unit are releasing much information. We know the shooter was 29, but neither his name or possible motives are being released in the short term. Reaction has been swift with the mayor saying a larger conversation needs to happen about guns now. Why does anyone in this city need to have a gun at all? It's been a rough year for Toronto. Several high-profile homicides have dominated the headlines. There was the tragic van attack, and shootings are up so dramatically it could be a record year for violent crime. I think from the public's perspective, it really does feel like a crisis in safety and security, Um, but because the incidents are so different, Um, I really don't think that there could be one response that would have gotten rid of any of them. And which one would would we choose? At this point, Torontonians are likely open to anything. Mike Drolet, Global News, Toronto. Global's Jamie Marocker joins us now from a makeshift memorial in the Danforth neighbourhood tonight. And Jamie, the community really struggling for answers. Yeah, absolutely struggling for answers. I mean, it was just four months ago when Torontonians went through a mass casualty event with the van attack. 
And now we're in a similar situation where this mass uh, injury event with this shooting. Now, the one thing that is also similar that people want people at home to know is they're not going to let it affect their day-to-day -day life. If you take a look around me, you can see that there are dozens of people out here and they have been coming out all night long. This is an extremely uh, emotional area because this is actually where one of the victims died. I'm going to take you over here a little bit to uh, the memorial where they've laid candles. This is where Reese Fallon, 18 years old, actually lost her life. Uh, you heard witnesses talking about um, a girl tripping, uh, the gunman standing over her, that's where this happened and of course people who saw that have come back tonight and they're extremely emotional but what everybody wants um, to come out of this is that they won't let this affect their day-to-day -day life okay thank you Jamie Jamie Morocco reporting live for us tonight in Toronto Back here at home now, a difficult day in court as the sentencing hearing begins for three youths convicted in the 2015 swarming death of Luca Gordick. Our Julia Foy was in court today for Crown submissions, and Julia, they're asking for the accused to be sentenced as adults. Yes, they are, absolutely. And I can tell you today in that courtroom, there was a mixture of fear, sadness, and anticipation as families on both sides of this tragedy prepare for the final chapter of this case. I think about Luca every day. We think about Luca every day. The family of Luca Gordich made another sad pilgrimage into BC Supreme Court, hoping for an end to the emotional torture they've endured since their 19-year-old son was killed in a swarming and stabbing attack in Whistler in 2015. Very tough of all my family. Every day. We suffer every day. They take us the beautiful boy from us. Painful. I can't stand it. Three men who were youths at the time of the attack spent the day listening to Crown Counsel argue they should be sentenced as adults for their part in stalking, swarming and stabbing Gordich, apparently for an imaginary conflict with a young woman. It was a planned and deliberate attack. They were recruited by the, the, the adults, uh, Mr. Gollett, to go look for uh, the victim, and when they found him, they swarmed him, and, and, and he, ended up, uh, he ended up dead. This case has pitted members of the victim and the accused families against each other. In a separate trial, one man has already been sentenced for manslaughter. Arvind Golik was sentenced as an adult to seven years in prison. Now Crown is asking this judge to sentence the three young offenders as adults as well. If he's sentenced as an adult, he should get the maximum adult sentence that's available to youth, which is seven years in custody. Crown is asking that the two remaining offenders who were found guilty of manslaughter receive four years if sentenced as adults. I'm hoping that they uh, are raised to adult um, sentencing. I, I want to show their faces to the world. Now, one of the most heartbreaking days in court will likely be Wednesday or Friday, and that's when Luca Gordich's family get to deliver their victim impact statements. Luca's mom wants to read hers directly to the three offenders. Back to you, Anne. All right, thanks for that, Julia. Julia Foy reporting in Vancouver tonight. A suspect in the 2006 murder here in B.C. has been caught in South Korea. In 2006, Jui Kei Wang was charged with second-degree murder and attempted murder in relation to a double shooting on January 22nd of that year. The victim was gunned down in a parking lot on North Road. A second victim was also shot but survived. 
Wang fled to Taiwan soon after the murder, but in March of this year, Wang was tracked down. He's since been arrested and extradited and is expected to make his first court appearance tomorrow. A coroner's inquest will be held into the suicide of RCMP officer Pierre Lemaitre. Lemaitre was in charge of RCMP media relations when Robert Jakansky was fatally tasered at Vancouver International Airport back in 2007. He faced allegations that he and the force misled the public about what had happened. The 55-year-old took his own life at his home in Abbotsford in July of 2013. The inquest into Lemaitre's death will begin in November. Now to the latest on the wildfire situation in our province. Here's a look at the most up-to-date fire danger rating or the risk of a fire starting in the province right now. As you can see, the extreme northwest as well as southern areas of the province, including Vancouver Island, are in a high fire danger rating with pockets of extreme. There are seven fires of note in B.C., which means they're highly visible or pose a potential threat to public safety. Six of those are in the Kamloops Fire Centre. The highest priority remains the Mount Aeneas fire. Chris Galis has been covering the progress battling that fire for several days. And Chris, how are crews feeling about the situation at this point? Well, they're feeling a lot better today, Jay. They had that controlled burn yesterday, and we'll show you more about the result of that. But this is a perfect example of what's left on the forest floor in the area where they did the controlled burn. And they did it to get rid of all the fuel that lines the forest floor right now. And this is what's behind. What they did is they dropped those little bombs. They call them dragon's eggs, and they're timed to ignite when they hit the forest floor. When they hit the stuff that was down here, it ignites in a chemical reaction and it gets rid of all of this fuel and it was so effective that they feel like they've got a much better hand on the Mount Aeneas fire now. We'll talk more about that in a moment as I said, but there are people out here who are still struggling. Some say they haven't had power for days and Kylie Stanton reports on the challenge for them and the strategy to fight this fire going forward. As the sun beats down, the forest heats up. Hot spots still smoldering from the fires sparked in the Okanagan Similkameen region last week. When we first got here, our incident management team got here, we were at 14. And now I think we're down to around five that are still out of control. The weekend reprieve allowed fire crews to make some progress, working from the ground and the air to merge the 1,700 hectare Mount Aeneas fire with a planned ignition. But the temperatures are starting to climb once again. You can just see it drying out. So with that means it's easier for ignition, it's easier for a fire to pick up and go. Um, so it, it, it's something we have to monitor. But the biggest concern right now is a bit more difficult to predict. Wind and lightning both have the potential to make their way through the area this week on top of the extreme heat. And that has crews bracing for another battle. We have a full kitchen, we have laundry facilities, we have bathrooms, showers. Nearly 300 firefighters are currently staying here, sleeping in these tents when they get the chance. But the close proximity allows for fatigue management, what becomes more critical with every passing day. Watch their hours of work, make sure they're hydrated. So if something happens, we do have a lot of resources right here. Right now, this couple is counting on it. Power went out about two o'clock on Friday afternoon. That's four days and counting since fire ripped through this mountain, damaging these lines, leaving the DeBoers without an electric fence. We're worried about keeping the cows in. Or any water for their fields. The drier it is, the worse it is for us. 
In a statement, BC Hydro says crews and equipment will begin repairing our damaged electrical infrastructure this afternoon. We hope to have power restored to most customers by the early evening. But that all depends on if the conditions cooperate. Cautiously optimistic, um, but still, we are not out of the woods. Kylie Stanton, Global News, near Peachland. And that is an excellent assessment of the situation here. But one of the reasons that there is room for cautious optimism is that controlled burn and how BC Wildfire Services feels that they've really got a handle on the fire line. It's down in more manageable areas now. It's easier for fire crews to get to it and snuff out the flames when they come. And we got a real good bird's eye view of exactly how they did that with George Campbell who coordinated the whole backburn effort and he did it up in the air and showed us the results. It was really quite impressive. Beachland, heli base. Uh, we have uh, three passengers on board. George Campbell just pulled off a little forest fire sorcery, bending the Mount Aeneas and Monroe Creek fires to his will. Uh, we wanted to join the two fires just uh, to make it easier for ground crews to work. They did it on Sunday, dropping thousands of little ping pong ball-like explosives, timed to ignite when they dropped to the forest floor. That's all the property down there. Obviously, there might have been a risk if this got away. Yes, that is correct. And they did it with a methodical sweep of the hillside, burning off the dry undergrowth that can easily ignite and spread quickly. You can see by the, the burn that we've conducted, it, it was very successful. It's 90% uh, coverage and uh, it was a very successful burn. This flight would have been impossible on Sunday with that massive plume of smoke, but only a few areas of concern are left now with other helicopters monitoring every hotspot. We're just going to zip in and take a look at this ignition, the heaviest smoke, and then we'll stay close to the mountain and head northbound. Viewing the slope now from the air, George is convinced the controlled burn worked perfectly. We took the opportunity yesterday because the weather was uh, favorable for us, and the fire did exactly what we expected it to do. Unfortunately, weather is sometimes an unpredictable factor but they're ready to defend life, property, and infrastructure if anything changes. We're all doing everything we can. And there could be some changes. There have been a few lightning strikes in the Peachland area over into West Kelowna as well, so they're keeping an eye on that. No indication yet whether that sparked any new fires, but we'll keep an eye on it for sure. Now, obviously, yesterday we mentioned the massive plume of smoke that came from that controlled burn, very unsettling for visitors and locals alike. And when people see it across the country, as they have, well, they're canceling their vacations in some cases. That puts a lot of businesses under a lot of stress. And Megan Tricotto spoke to some of them uh, just about the impact on, on them and also what travelers need to know about the reality of the situation here in the Okanagan Valley. It's a sunny Okanagan day and people are enjoying the beach in Peachland as wisps of smoke rise from hillsides in the distance. But across the country, the wildfires in the South Okanagan have been national news. It's definitely keeping people either out of the Okanagan or they're shortening their visits. You do notice that there just aren't the number of people that are normally at the swim bay. There aren't a number of the people that are walking up and down the streets. And tourism-related businesses are feeling the hit. This Peachland campground would normally be full. Not the case right now with the number of vacancies. Our numbers are down... Uh, probably only about 15 to 20 percent. You know, and then we had to talk a lot of people into coming. 
But those we talked to who did make the trip have no regrets. It's actually been nice. We've got a nice breeze and there's no smoke coming from the other side, so it's pretty good. But many businesses are feeling the absence of those vacationers who stayed away. Probably a lot of people are scared away because they figure that it's blown out of proportion that Peachland's on fire, and it's not really. You know, it's on the outskirts of Peachland that's really, you know, on fire. The wildfire stigma only magnifying the wildfire's impact on the valley. That's the sad thing about the wildfires is the Okanagan relies so much on tourism. When this happens, it tends to keep people away. So Peachland wants to make it very clear the town is open for business. Megan Turcato, Global News, Peachland. And they are eager to serve uh, anybody who comes through town. They've treated us very well. I'll leave you with one last note here, uh, Jay and Ann, a reminder, and I'm, it's terrible that we even have to do this, but the use of drones near wildfires is strictly prohibited, and they had a problem up near Nacusp today where they had to halt air operations on the uh, Wilson Creek fire because somebody was using a drone nearby. They want to remind people no drone use. They want to keep the aerial attack up to keep all of these fires under control. You're subject to a $25,000 fine and 18 months in jail if they catch you using a drone in a wildfire zone. So keep that in mind. That's the latest now from the uh, Mount Enius wildfire. Back to you guys in the studio. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. And a fascinating look alongside the crews there. Now for the latest on the conditions. We've heard the heat is coming back. Let's check in with Christy Gordon for a look at the week ahead. And Christy, what can we expect in the coming days? Well, Jay, the big concern for today, as Chris mentioned, was for the potential of lightning. We have had a number of thunderstorms in through the Okanagan Valley. The good news is we haven't had a lot of lightning strikes in comparison to the storms that we've seen in past days as well. The winds have been on the commerce side. We've had a few gusts, but generally sustained winds uh, below 30 kilometers an hour. Now the heat is on. As you mentioned, it will be a slow climb, but by the time we hit the weekend, we are going to be in the mid to upper 30s in some areas and we have no rain in sight. So as we head towards the weekend in the coming days, conditions out there will become drier and drier. So we'll be tracking that closely. The duck boat involved in that deadly accident last week is lifted from a Missouri lake. What investigators are looking to find now during their examination. And demolition gone wrong. What happened during this Miami Beach building collapse that left one person in critical condition? More on those stories a bit later in the show. The lead singer of the pop group Headley has now been charged in a sexual assault investigation. Our Catherine Urquhart is live in our newsroom with the details. And Catherine, Toronto Police announcing the charges against Jacob Hogarth today. That's right, Anne. This morning, the 34-year-old was taken into custody in Toronto and charged with two counts of sexual assault and one count of sexual interference. Earlier today, police released this mugshot of Jacob Hogarth. Investigators saying they believe more women may come forward with allegations against the singer. Many have already done so on social media as part of the Me Too movement. The charges come after a four-month-plus investigation involving two alleged victims, one 24 years old, the other much younger. As we know, the charge of sexual interference is only laid if the alleged victim is under the age of 16. Now, earlier this year, the band was dropped by its management team and many radio stations stopped playing their music. Hogard, who is originally from Abbotsford, is due to appear in court this Thursday.
Thank you very much, Catherine. A man has been arrested in connection with the murder of a woman at a West Kelowna hotel. We can confirm at this point that both the man and the woman were known to each other. They are both from the Lower Mainland. Police were called to the Best Western on Carrington Road just after 7 o'clock last night where they found the woman's body. The suspect was arrested a short distance away. RCMP not saying at this point how the victim died or what the motive may have been. Welcome back. South Surrey's Crescent Beach is a popular summer spot, but it sits on the other side of a rail line, and when a freight train breaks down, access is blocked. On Saturday, a coal train got stuck on the tracks for hours, sparking concerns about how first responders would get in during an emergency. Paul Johnson reports. What a mess it was in Crescent Beach on a busy summer weekend when the only access in and out was blocked by this. For two hours on Saturday, a Burlington Northern Santa Fe freight train sat stalled on the tracks. The result was predictable and infuriating. Yeah, I don't need that kind of a blockage going on. This is the wake-up call, okay? There's a wake-up call for everybody. This is the wake-up call. Crescent Beach resident Doug McCallum is running for mayor of Surrey this fall. He's also a former transportation executive. No surprise, he has some strong views about the railroad issue. From my past experience as being mayor of Surrey, this is the ultimate disaster situation. Crescent Beach recently experienced a tragedy on these same tracks when a local high school student was hit and killed by a train. With an average of 10,000 people on the beach on a typical summer weekend afternoon, McCallum is worried it's only a matter of time before another terrible incident happens. This one involving access. We're a big urban city, the 10th largest in Canada now. And in one of our only beachfronts, and in a beach that all of our citizens go to, and 10,000 people over a weekend go to, uh, we shouldn't be driving a train right through the middle and blocking the access to it. Of course, one big question for the people down at Crescent Beach is why did the train get stalled on the tracks right at that precise spot? We called the railroad today BNSF. As of yet, as of now, we haven't heard back. Back to you guys. All right, thanks for the report, Paul. Paul Johnson reporting at Crescent Beach tonight. You bet. As parts of B.C. continue to burn, a sobering reminder tonight to be careful. 45% of all of last year's wildfires were started by humans. And as temperatures continue to soar, so does the fire danger. As Linda Ellsworth reports, one municipality is taking an extreme step to reduce the risk. Wildfires aren't exclusive to the southern and central interior of B.C. The dangers are in urban areas as well places you might not expect. So this is one of our issues uh, in our parks, uh, which is why we uh, put in a no smoking bylaw. He's talking about the bark mulch, often used to soften falls in playgrounds. Even a simple cigarette or anything like that would, would cause a fire, um, as well as the dried grass and combined with the proximity to the forest. Port Coquitlam has had it with human-caused fires, in particular those started by improperly extinguished and carelessly discarded cigarettes. In the last 30 days, we've had over 12 calls for service, all directly related to smoking material. Earlier this year, Port Coquitlam implemented a year-round smoking ban in its parks, among other areas. But now that the fire danger rating has reached high, they want to make sure everyone knows about it. 
there's signs up to it, so it's been posted, but people, it has, eh? people still don't really pay attention much. People aren't putting their cigarettes out properly, so it shouldn't be allowed. People not getting the message? I think it's not that they're not getting the message. I think uh, that uh, I think people put them out and they think they're doing it in a safe manner and not aware of what's going on. Which is why now, if you get caught smoking in the park or on the trails, you could be fined $75. It's not about punishment. It's about creating a culture of safety around using the fires um, when you're out in the forest as well as inside the cities. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Cell phone video capturing the moment a 12-story condo building collapsed in Miami Beach. One man critically wounded by a large chunk of falling debris. Construction crews were demolishing the building when it accidentally collapsed. A haunting sight on a Missouri lake today as a sunken duck boat was raised. 17 people were killed when the vessel went down during a storm last Thursday. As the victim's family struggled to cope, troubling questions remain about whether the boat was fit to be on the water. The sunken duck boat that had become a waterlogged tomb for some of the 17 who died here was pulled to the surface today. Whether it holds any clues about why it sank remains to be seen. But now, an inspector hired by Ripley Entertainment, the boat's owner, is speaking out about the red flags he reported last summer. One issue is uh, the canopy uh, on, on the ducks, as well as the curtains that come down the sides. When the curtains are down, there's no way for the people to escape. Stephen Paul says his inspection report questioned the seaworthiness of the boat's design, especially when the roll-up window curtains are down and locked closed, raising concerns about escaping in an emergency. There is escape from the back. If you can imagine being in a, in a sinking ship like that with only one exit, it would uh, be be devastating. He says people trying to get out can be pushed into the canopy by rushing water and trapped. Ripley Entertainment has not responded to NBC News about the report. If I was able to get a life jacket, I could have saved my babies. Today, life jackets could be seen dangling from the roof of the wreckage. Tia Coleman, whose husband and three children died, said the captain told them they weren't needed. They could have at least floated up to the top and somebody could have grabbed them. And I wasn't able to do that. In all, nine members of the Coleman family from Indiana, pictured here just before boarding, died. 17 lives lost in what many are saying was a preventable accident. Ron Mott, NBC News, Branson, Missouri. President Donald Trump escalating a war of words with Iran in a menacing tweet he warned the country's president to never, ever threaten the U.S. again. The fiery rhetoric by both leaders comes against the backdrop of increasingly adversarial actions between the two countries. It's the Twitter takedown heard round the world. Mr. Trump tweeting overnight to Iranian President Rouhani, never ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences, the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. Be cautious. Today, the president pressed on his aggressive approach. Mr. President, any concerns about provoking tensions with Iran? The hardcore warning seemed to be prompted by Iran's president who threatened America should know that peace with Iran is the mother of all peace and war with Iran is the mother of all wars. The president's tough tone highly coordinated with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo launching his own harsh attack just hours before. Iran is run by something that resembles the mafia 
more than a government. In two weeks, the Trump administration is poised to reimpose harsh sanctions, which were suspended under the Iran nuclear deal. Mr. Trump pulled out of the Obama-era agreement in May. Administration officials tell NBC News the president is using a maximum pressure campaign to get Iran to abandon its nuclear ambitions, similar to his strategy with North Korea. Fire and fury like the world has never seen. Experts say war is unlikely, but could there be a change at the top? More likely, he is trying to push the Iranians and get the people of Iran uh, to be more concerned about their leadership. Hundreds of rescue workers are now free from a Syrian war zone thanks to the help from Canada. The members of the White Helmets were rescued from southwestern Syria, where Russian-backed government forces are closing in as they gain ground across the country. The families are expected to resettle in Canada and Europe in the coming weeks. In Health Matters tonight, a new U.S. study looks at what we should be eating or avoiding to keep our hearts healthy. Beans, chickpeas and other legumes are a go. According to the American College of Cardiology, they have been shown to reduce heart disease and improve blood pressure, blood glucose and cholesterol. Coffee may also lower the risk of death from heart disease. And while low-fat dairy helps cut blood pressure, some studies have found it may increase cholesterol, fractures and the risk of an early death. And a Canadian study has found gluten-free labeled products for kids are not necessarily healthier when it comes to nutrition. The research finds most gluten-free items are not healthier than those without the designation. More than 370 products were compared and 88% of those marked gluten-free contained high levels of sugar, sodium or fat. Experts urge parents to check the ingredients if they're choosing gluten-free diets for their children. The lioness love affair, why she can't get enough of this little girl at the zoo. That's coming up after the forecast. Good thing there's glass there. I'd say so. A little confusion <laughs> there, but a great moment for the girl and her family. Well, as we heard earlier, it's really heating up right across the province. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's making things very challenging when it comes to fighting the fires in this province. Yes, certainly is. Just quickly, I want to touch on the thunderstorms that are in the Okanagan Valley right now. It looks like there was one cell that has weakened but is moving towards the Summerland area, hopefully not bringing uh, or bringing some rain and not the lightning strikes. It's not showing any lightning strikes in that area, but we are seeing a few uh, just west of Kelowna right now. That will die down through the evening hours. And yes, now we're talking about the heat. This pattern is going to set up for the next seven days. In general, across the west, hot. Temperatures not record-breaking, but a good 10 degrees above seasonal for this time of year. Meanwhile, out east, they're below normal by about five degrees. And as I mentioned, expect that to last right through until the early parts of next week. This is what it looked like today, 28 degrees in North Vancouver, West Vancouver, 31, Burnaby, Pitt Meadows, Surrey, uh, out in the Fraser Valley, 31 to 32 degrees. Those are the numbers that you can expect. So here's that trend. It is going to stay hot. And then towards the weekend, it's going to get even hotter. In particular, Sunday, we're expecting in the heat before it begins to cool off once again. So it has prompted a heat warning not only for Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, Whistler, Sunshine Coast, inland and east coast of Vancouver Island and up through the north and central coast as well. So this is what a heat warning is. Highs 30 to 35 today through Sunday. Stay hydrated. Spend time in air conditioning if you can. Maybe even go to a store where you can find air conditioning. Use sunscreen and never ever leave kids or pets inside a car. That could be deadly. What does heat stroke look like? Like, 
actually someone would become uh, confused looking and their skin is no longer sweating. They're hot and dry. And this is an emergency. You do need to call 911. There's your forecast for tomorrow, hot and dry right across the province. It's going to be this way right through the next seven days. Now, interior regions, you're just starting to heat up. So low 30s for you tomorrow, but by the latter part of the week, mid 30s. So up to low 30s across the metro Vancouver region. It is going to be very hot even overnight. All right. Yeah, that is a scorching run. Thank you very much, Christy. You're welcome. All right. This is so great. What started with mistaken identity at the Oklahoma City Zoo has led to an adorable video. That's right. This lioness enamored with what this young girl is holding. The stuffed doll is Simba from The Lion King, and it appears the lioness believes the toy cub is the real thing. She paws at the glass and even follows the little girl in an attempt to meet and play with the future king. News to tell you about a new wildfire has shut down Highway 1 in both directions this evening, north of Lytton. The BC Wildfire Service is responding to the blaze just north of Spence's Bridge. That's about a 90-minute drive from Lytton. The ground crews and air support are on site. Callers into our newsroom say they have been stuck on the highway for almost two hours. Drive BC has no estimated opening time when the highway may reopen. The next update is expected at 10 p.m. We'll certainly keep a close eye on that. All right, Squire joins us now, and one of the uh, Whitecaps poised for a big career well, advancement. we always knew Alfonso Davies wasn't going to stay here yeah. that long. He's too good, and Europe is the big time, and that's where he's going to go. But Alfonso Davies is not quite XB9 Bayern Munich mm -hmm. just yet. The uh, transfer of Davies to Germany's best and most accomplished franchise is close, but it's not official. And we don't know what will happen when it is official. Will Bayern Munich let him finish this season in Vancouver, will they be afraid that if they do that, he'll hurt himself? Nobody knows yet. All we know is Davies is still here. But look at this. It's no longer a case of if Alfonso Davies is joining Bayern Munich, it's when. Davies trained for the first time with his current Whitecaps teammates on Monday. This after the Caps kept them off the pitch for matches against Seattle and Montreal while his overseas transfer fee is being negotiated. Would the best case scenario be wherever he signs, they allow him to finish the season with you? Yeah, I think so. I think you know, he's, he's arguably been our best player this year and you know he's played with a freedom and an enjoyment and he's helped the team. That's Alfonso Davies. Skipping away, gets away and unleashes a cannon! Numerous top European clubs have taken notice of the teenager's blossoming world-class talent. For the Caps, it's playing the big brother role, helping the 17-year-old find the right fit. You know, what's the right right answer for a young player? Do they go and join a top club, a big big European club, uh, and, you know, fight for minutes? And Or do they join a small, so-called smaller club and have more chance of playing? There's no question that being around world-class players every day will enhance Davies' own skills. But to take his game to the same level of those on the European pitch, he has to do more than just rub shoulders in training sessions or by watching from the sidelines. If there's an opportunity then to be involved in first-team football because the big teams play in major tournaments and more tournaments than the rest of the teams, uh, then it's an opportunity you don't want to miss. If you go and play at a smaller club or a so-called smaller club, and again, take that with all due respect, then you might get closer to the first team initially. Um, 
but you won't be playing with as world-class players from every position across the board and you probably won't be getting uh, you get different type of coaching so there's arguments for and against what's it been like for him and, and watching him go through this it's it's something like a fairy tale to be honest because you know every every time he gets an opportunity he steps up to the plate and he nails it and he hits it out of the park um, and that, that's tough to say for another 17 year old um, in this country let alone the world I mean he's he's a uh, He's really something. He's special, and I know people have been calling him a wonder kid, and, and he is exactly that. Okay, with all that, we don't know if Alfonso Davies will play the Whitecaps next MLS game, which is Saturday against Minnesota BC Place, but we can tell you that F.R.E. Juarez definitely won't be playing because of a red card he got last Saturday against Seattle for bumping the ref. A red card that he apologized for today. Sometimes my passion, the people that, that know me, uh, sometimes my passion goes a little bit over, over, overreactive sometimes. Uh, but this is the way that sometimes I feel I, I live. Uh, of course, no excuse, but the only thing I, I just came to hear just to, to really apologize. And that kind of thing never is going to happen for myself. When Hamilton traded quarterback Johnny Manziel to Montreal yesterday, they helped improve the awareness of not just the Alouettes, but the CFL as well. People will tune in. They'll go to games to see if Johnny football can provide the same kind of magic to the CFL he did to college football when he was at Texas A&M. So far, he's kept out of any off-field trouble that plagued his NFL career, and going to the Alouettes will reunite him with head coach Mike Sherman. Now, he was the guy who talked Manziel into going to Texas A&M out of high school. Now, Sherman didn't actually coach Manziel at Texas A&M. He was fired before Johnny's freshman season. But he feels nobody can help Manziel become Johnny football again better than he can. One of the first things I said to him when he walked into my office, I said, this has to work and this will work. And he agreed. These guys, this organization is obviously... um, put a lot on the line to get me here. There are expectations behind that, and you know I expect to come in and, and, and come in here and act like a professional and do what I need to do to be and give this thing as best chance as possible to be a good football player. That's what I want to do. Tiger Woods wearing Sunday red and putting up red numbers means lots of green for whichever TV network has the rights. Whether you like him or not, Tiger Woods is great box office. It's like having The Rock star in your action movie. At one point yesterday, he was in the lead at the Open Championship, and the ratings were the way they were when he was winning these events with regularity. The final round yesterday was the most watched final round of the Open Championship since the year 2000 when Tiger won at St. Andrews. Compared to last year when Jordan Spieth won, the ratings were up 38%. And for NBC's digital platforms, the final round was the most streamed golf tournament ever. And as great as the final round was, with so many big names in the hunt, Without Tiger being one of those big names, the ratings would not have been as close to what they ended up being. Like it or not, golf still needs them to bring in the casual fan. Roger's Cup of Tennis will not have Roger Federer this year. He pulled out of the event. Roger pulled out of the Rogers, which starts on August 4th. Federer has won it twice before, was in the final last year. Basically, he says he's 36, can't play as many events as he used to. He needs to rest up after Wimbledon to get ready for the U.S. Open, which will start on August 27th. There you go. You guys were both away last week. You missed out on our global uh, open championship pool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah how'd it go? Uh, <laughs> didn't go very well for me, but uh, I don't know if I should say Keith Baldry was the winner. What? Snuck in there somehow. 
I don't know how he did it. Fixed? Helping UBC researchers create a human-like skin for robots, blending printing technology and engineering. The first of its kind innovation can sense touch and pressure and could be groundbreaking for prosthetics. Aaron MacArthur explains. The next generation of robots might have an outer shell that behaves a lot like human skin. At a lab at UBC, a team has developed a material that can rebound and stretch locally. The applications could change everything from the way surgeons operate to how strawberries get picked. My goal actually was to have a humanoid robot with the ability to interact with humans the way that humans do and be more socially acceptable. The research is being aided this summer by Roshan Mishra. The Indian student has come to UBC not only to learn but to help this project progress. For now, it's constricted to just to a small area, right? So if we want the complete robot to have this sort of like sensation or technology, we need to have it on a larger scale. Mishra is participating in a program called MyTax, merging high-level international students with universities in Canada to work hands-on with some of this country's leading researchers. The nonprofit funded through industry and government the end goal, to attract the best and brightest back to Canadian universities for grad school. There are big players like MIT, Harvard that uh, want to poach our students. I must say the level of our students is amazingly high. We have thousands and thousands of applicants for the slots that we have. It's more or less like 10 to 1. Oops. Robot skin is years away from even simple testing and further still away from real-world applications. But the technology is quickly catching up, merging top-end AI with lifelike features. The future might look a lot more like science fiction than we ever thought possible. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Very cool. What are you thinking? A little unnerving there? Well, I'm looking, I'm just, Terminator keeps coming back in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking of Terminator quotes because yeah. of it, yeah. There you go. Well, one last look at the weather before we leave tonight. Sure, it's plain and simple, really. It's going to be hot right through the early part of next week. Areas inland, we're talking 30 to 32 degrees. And of course, we're tracking the forest fires uh, on the 11 o'clock news. Hoping you can join us then as well. Have a great night, everyone. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.